0: Welcome back to another episode, it's The Lawyer You Know, and it is day two in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and we're doing everything we can to keep these recaps as short as possible while giving you as much information as we can. So what we're gonna do today is dive into the opening statements of the prosecutor and the defense attorney, as well as the first witness, Mr. Black. But before we get there, if you guys want me to do a live this Thursday, answering questions on the spot from everybody that follows this channel who wants to join in, Write the word LIVE in all caps in the comments and I will try to find a time Thursday afternoon or evening to jump on, do a recap of the week of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and try to answer as many questions as I can because I'm not going to be able to do a recap on Friday. We'll pick back up next week. This trial is moving fast and furious and where we left off yesterday is after the prosecutor did their voir dire, the defense did their voir dire. They asked a lot of questions about gun ownership and use of guns. If people were angry, they tried to find more bias. But what stuck out to me the most was the quote from one juror, and I'm going to read it here. I really want to serve on a jury. I really don't want to serve on this jury. Either way this goes, you're going to have half the country upset with you. And she's not wrong. And I think that was the sentiment of a lot of jurors throughout this process. But as i said was a stretch yesterday for them to pick a jury in one day i was wrong the judge pushed it through they were able to pick a 20-person jury out of 150 potential jurors that they seated within one day and day two which is today they started the case so the makeup of this 20-person jury is 11 women and 9 men and we will see what they have to say throughout this process so the next step is the judge to read them some jury instructions and read them the charges in the case and the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse has pled not guilty to all of these charges. Before the prosecutor starts their opening statement, I love what the judge did this, and I'm a big stickler for this. He said these are opening statements, not opening arguments. And he trashed all the movies and shows that say, get ready for your opening arguments or your initial arguments because you are not legally allowed to argue in your opening statement. Instead, you just talk about what The evidence will show, as we're all familiar with, if you followed along with the Ronnie O'Neill trial with us, which we did a lot of content on that. So the opening statements start and the prosecutor goes first because they have the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt because this is a criminal case in the United States. The prosecutor focused a lot on the fact that this was all happening because of the murder of Mr. Blake and there were protesters out there doing it the right way and peaceably protesting. But... He had to admit that there was rioting, there was looting, there was destruction of property, and there was arson. And he also had to admit, in my opinion, a lot of bad facts that I, necess- not, I wouldn't have necessarily mentioned in opening. I realize every case has problems and we as lawyers have to figure out what to do with the bruises on our apple. Some lawyers cut them out. Some lawyers don't talk about them at all. Some people, some lawyers eat the bruises. You have to determine, are you going to get ahead of these problems? Or are you going to wait for the other side to bring them up and then react prosecutor tried to get ahead on most of these problems. But his focus was really on the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse was the aggressor. He was chasing and pursuing these alleged victims. He shot one of them in the back four times. He murdered two unarmed people. He shot bullets into where there were multiple people around putting their safety and their life in danger. And he's the bad guy. He came here looking for it. He used phrases like, the outsiders coming into Kenosha were like moss to a flame. They're the reason this whole thing exploded. And if you think about that, that's a pretty big deal because he's painting Kyle Rittenhouse as an outsider and all of these jury members are living in this community, in this county. They are here. It affected them, their lives, their businesses, their families. So they are feeling this hitting close to home, literally, no pun intended. And Kyle Rittenhouse being painted as that outsider is something that the prosecutor is really trying to do. And he also used buzzwords like, there's going to be no doubt about the facts in these cases. And as a lawyer, my ears perk up because I'm thinking, no doubt, that's an even higher burden than you have. But what he means is, everybody agrees to the facts. It's just whether or not it was self-defense. And he defined self-defense, which I also think is going to be huge in this case. He said, it is a privilege in our state that is very limited. And when we talk about self-defense, it should be limited to just this. Using deadly force is very limited in the law. This is These are quotes from the prosecutor. You have to have a reasonable belief of imminent death or great bodily harm to yourself. It is a standard person of ordinary intelligence and prudence. They would have to believe in the defendant's position. It was reasonable to act and do what the defendant did in that moment, not in hindsight. And that last part, not in hindsight, is very important because we know from the previous hearings and arguments made by the prosecutor, they're going to argue a lot of what these alleged victims did and said that may have been disorderly or violent, the defendant didn't even know at the time. So they can only take into account what he knew at the time and whether or not it was reasonable for him to act with this deadly force. So that hindsight is going to be important in what the prosecutors are angling in this case. Prosecutors also talked about who the victim, I'm sorry, who the witnesses are going to be in the case, including Mr. Black, who we will get into because he was the first witness and we're going to break down his entire testimony later on in this video, as well as some law enforcement, other witnesses, Um, FBI agents, videos, pictures that you're going to see. What I thought was interesting, he didn't talk a lot or show many of the pictures or any of the videos in his opening statement. And we'll hear a little bit more about whether the defense did that. While I did think he was making some arguments through his opening statement, he basically stuck to what he thought the evidence would show with a few here and there arguments. That's normal. There wasn't a lot of objections by the defense attorney. One of the reasons was I think a lot of what he said does not hurt the defense attorney, and we'll talk more about that when we get to the first witness, a lot of this seems like it's positive for the defense, even what the prosecution is putting on. They talked about people live streaming. They talked about the riots. They talked about some of the alleged victims having weapons. They talked about the alleged victims potentially throwing stuff or hitting Kyle Rittenhouse with stuff. And and he even talked about this hospital bag, which potentially opened the door to certain arguments we know the defense wants to make, and the fact that Rosenbaum, not only with the hospital bag, but also couldn't go to the girlfriend's house which we'll talk about how the defense does want to use some of those arguments, but but live streaming on Facebook and having weapons and doing all this stuff is really bad for his case and is good for the defendant. And the way the prosecutor painted the picture of what was happening downtown back in August of 2020, to me, seemed like craziness. You know, he didn't tone it down at all. It seemed like it was dangerous just to be out there. So I'm not sure if there was a lot that really hurt the defense's case, besides the fact that, of course, he shot on people, shot him in the back. I would have stuck more to that. I would have stuck more to Kyle Rittenhouse wanted to be the vigilante. He went out there and did all this. I wouldn't have gotten into as many of the details as the prosecutor did if I was giving this opening statement. One of the good points that I thought he did make was that Rosenbaum's only 5'3", 150 pounds, not going to put anybody in reasonable fear of imminent danger or bodily harm, no matter what he was saying. Even if he was saying, I'm going to kill you, even if he was saying, what are you going to do? I want you to shoot me. Even if he was making threats or things like that, they were just words and words are not enough to respond with deathly force in self-defense and it was not justified. So he did talk a lot about that. The last thing I didn't like that he argued that I would, if I was a defense attorney, I would say this opened the door, is he said, you're going to hear about what kind of man Mr. Huber was. He was a skateboarder. He was a good man, which brings in the character, which makes it more sad that he died um, than if he was a bad guy, right? So that's kind of the argument and the thinking that he's making. It's sad when anybody dies. I'm not saying that um, personally about any of these people. I'm just talking about in the law, how we describe potential victims and defendants in the case, when you get into their character, it opens up the door for the other victim's character. And we know because we've followed some of the hearings and the arguments made about Mr. Rosenbaum and and some of the other potential victims in this case, that they don't seem like as good a guy's when you get into their past criminal background and what they did prior bad acts. So we'll see if the defense opens that door to talk about some of the other alleged victim's character if the prosecution talks more about that. So once the prosecutor finished their opening statement, there was some argument made in front of the judge, which I thought was really cool to watch. And I was able to watch more of it. The defense argued they opened the door for them to be able to talk about Rosenbaum being at a mental hospital, not just a regular hospital, because he was having mental issues, potentially suicidal. And the reason he couldn't go back to his girlfriend's house, because the prosecutor was saying the only reason that Rosenbaum was downtown is because he couldn't go to his girlfriend's house. Well, the reality, according to the defense, is that there was a no-contact order because of pending criminal charges against Rosenbaum at the time, and that's why he couldn't go to the girlfriend's house. The judge seemed to listen and might allow them to make that argument in the future, but he said, you're not going to bring any of that in during opening statements, so for now, just kind of leave it alone, and we'll discuss it depending on how it comes out in the evidence. So then the defense starts their opening statement, and I have to say, they did a ton of arguing. And I would have objected a ton. The defense did not object much during the prosecutor's opening statement. And I think that may have made the prosecutor not want to object as much in their opening statement. Sometimes that happens in trial. There's an ebb and flow of one side's objecting a ton. The other side starts objecting more and vice versa. If there's not a lot of objections, sometimes you sink back in your seat a little bit more. I would have been standing up, pounding the table, objecting. Right before the defense started their opening statement, the prosecutor seemed to have an issue that the defense wanted to put on the pictures and the videos that would be exhibits in the case. And one of the horrible arguments the prosecutor made was, I didn't do it in my opening statement, judge. And the judge said, are these exhibits stipulated to? Are they going to come into evidence? Yes. Then they can absolutely, that's an age old um, thing that is allowed in trials that you're allowed to use these exhibits if they're stipulated to in opening statement, and the standard is definitely not what you did in your opening statement, but it is in fact what's allowable, and that is allowable. And the last ditch effort the prosecutor tried to make is judge. You wanted this to be brief and informative, and you wanted this to go quickly, and I don't think he's going to be able to go quickly. And the defense uh, defense attorney said. I won't take any more time than he did. So the judge said, sure, you can go into all this stuff, which is obvious. And the judge even mentioned, which I thought was interesting, that this is what always happens in civil cases. Criminal and civil have a lot of differences. A lot of times, all of our evidence, all of our exhibits are stipulated to in a binder so we can use them throughout the case freely. In criminal defense cases, a lot of times that's not how it works. And we fight about every piece of paper and every exhibit that comes in. It seems like that's not how they've set this trial up. And they've already agreed to a lot of the exhibits, especially the photos and videos, So the defense attorney said, I want to use it, and use it, he did. Tons of video clips, tons of pictures, and tons of argument. I would have objected a ton, like I said, if I was the prosecutor, but the prosecutor didn't object as much as I did. So we'll get into some of the arguments that the defense attorney made, but first, let's just talk about kind of the theme of the defense's opening statement. And as you would expect, it combats and kind of goes against what the prosecutor said. So instead of saying this outsider coming in here to make trouble, instead he said Kyle Rittenhouse has ties to Kenosha, um, family ties, he worked here, he has friends here, he was asked to come, he did not come on his own accord, and he was here just a day before, hours before, cleaning graffiti off of schools and buildings around. So he was here to help bring medical attention and protection to this county, to the citizens and the business owners of this county. He wasn't a bad guy coming in to make trouble. He also talked about how Kyle Rittenhouse did not fire the first shot. Somebody that was actually an acquaintance of uh, one of the victims, Rosenbaum, had a gun and was the one that fired the first shot that night. It wasn't even Kyle Rittenhouse. He additionally argued that um, the skateboard that was used as a weapon against Kyle Rittenhouse was never produced by the girlfriend of that alleged victim. And he wishes he had it here today to show it, but he doesn't. Uh, he said that Kyle Rittenhouse admitted to law enforcement and went right up to law enforcement after and told his friends that he had to do it. It was self-defense immediately after. So obviously they talked a lot about self-defense. What happened to him? He got kicked in the head with this black boot. Somebody had a gun and was pointing it to him. The prosecutor argued that Grosskreutz never pointed the gun at Kyle Rittenhouse, but the defense put up a picture that looked like he either was about to point it at him or was pointing it at him. So I think that may be important. I will do my best not to mix up all these victims' names, and witnesses names, but there's a lot of victims, a lot of witnesses, defendant, people in this case. It's not my case. so I'm going to do my best with all the names, but I may slip up once or twice and and mess up the names. I'll do my best. And so one of the arguments in particular that I would have stood up and objected to is when the defense attorney said that Rosenbaum tried to take Kyle's gun. And if he would have taken it, he probably would have made good on his threat to kill somebody and he would have shot and killed somebody. That's total pure argument and speculation and something there's no evidence for. State didn't object. I don't know why. The only time I can remember the state objecting is when they talked about the um, skateboard and how he said, you know, the girlfriend never produced it and I want to show you how heavy the skateboard is and how much damage it can do. You know, stuff like that. That's the only thing I can remember the state objecting to. So the defense goes through their version of the events. They talk a lot about self-defense. They show a lot of the videos and about how it happened so quickly, how all these shots were fired in 0.7 seconds and all of these kicks to the head and hits with the skateboard and things being thrown at him. And he shoots multiple people within five seconds. This happened. And they talked about other experts going to show how quick that happened, which I think is important. All of this was happening within split seconds. So that's the gist of the opening statement. We're going to get into more detail, I'm sure, as these videos are played and these witnesses are called. But let's first get to Dominic Black, which is a witness called by the state, which is unusual since this is one of Kyle Rittenhouse's former very good friends and the former boyfriend of Kyle Rittenhouse's sister, whom called himself one of Kyle Rittenhouse's brothers and purchased the gun for Kyle Rittenhouse. At least that's the state's story. So the state goes through his testimony about how They had a plan to go to the store and Kyle Rittenhouse wanted to buy this gun. But again, this witness for most of the time seemed like a defense witness because he said, Kyle gave me the money, but we had an agreement that I would buy the gun and it would stay at my house and I would keep the gun until he turned 18 because we knew it was illegal that he have the gun prior to him being 18. Kyle was there to help people. We went there to clean off my old school. He was getting medic supplies because he had some medical training because he was a lifeguard. He was CPR certified or whatever. No, he wasn't an EMT. He said good things about Kyle. Tons of good things about Kyle Rittenhouse, which I was shocked the state called him as a witness. I mean, I guess they had to call him to prove Kyle Rittenhouse had the gun and knew he shouldn't have had it under 17. But I would have tried to pare that down. Now, one of the things that was interesting is you would assume immunity. You would assume he's not gonna get prosecuted for, in fact... Giving a gun to a minor that ended up killing multiple people, but that's not the case. The prosecutor said, I am prosecuting you for those charges, aren't I? And I've promised you nothing. You have not been given immunity. Those are still open felony cases. And the witness said, yes to all of those. So that added a lot to his credibility that he was saying, yeah, I'm here. I'm waiving my Fifth Amendment right. My lawyer's right there in the back of the courtroom. And I'm here just telling the truth. And the truth is, we went there that night with guns, but we went there to help. Now, the good things for the prosecutor that came out on direct was that he said people were throwing rocks, they were throwing gas bombs, and I never felt like I was in um, imminent danger. There were lots of people screaming things and coming up close to us and screaming profanities. Now he said, I went on the roof so I would be safe and away from that. Kyle didn't, intimating that Kyle wanted to be in on the action. That's good for the prosecutors. And he said nothing anyone did made him think that it was worth shooting somebody or that he saw an experience, I should say. It wasn't worth shooting somebody. It didn't rise to that level. It wasn't quite that dangerous. So no matter how bad these circumstances and surroundings seemed at the time, it did not rise to that level. Now, he didn't experience exactly what Kyle did. So I think the defense can poke holes in that. But I think those are some good points for the prosecution that Other people that were there for the same reason as Kyle with guns, they didn't shoot anybody. They didn't kill anybody. The only person that killed people that night was Kyle Rittenhouse. And I do think he did a good job of driving that point home. He also tried to to say, though, that he didn't know Kyle was going to take the gun and he didn't give Kyle the gun. Kyle just kind of went and took the gun, which doesn't seem all that credible. He drove with him. They went and bought the slings together, which the defense attorney pointed out. He said, earlier that day, you went and bought the slings to carry the guns and you bought two at the store or Kyle Brittenhouse bought two at the store, one for you, one for him. So you guys knew you were going to take these guns down there. And he's trying to act like he didn't have anything to do with it. They blame a lot on their friend, Nick Smith, who's the one that invited them out and was kind of acting like he was in charge and told them where to go and what to do. They had met with and talked to the owner of Car Source Um, and kind of made a plan together, so all that kind of happened. But again, his testimony is that they were all there to help people, and they were all there to do the right thing, and they were all mad about the protesters and rioters and looters. So that does not help the prosecution a ton, in my opinion. You guys let me know what you think. Who do you think the first witness helped, if you were able to see any of Dominic Black's testimony in this case? Some of the highlights of Cross, which was rather short from the defense attorneys, was that he knew he had the gun. They planned to take the guns together as proven by the slings like we already talked about. They were in the car together. They talked about it. The gun was at Mr. Black's house when Kyle Rittenhouse took it. And he said, you wanted Kyle Rittenhouse to have that gun, didn't you? And he said, no, I wouldn't say that. He goes, well, you wanted a gun, right? He said, yeah. He said, for protection, right? Because you knew it was dangerous there, right? Yeah. So Kyle Rittenhouse would want one for the same reason. And he never really agreed with the defense attorney, but it makes sense. If you knew everybody that was going with you and everybody that was there had these kinds of guns, not everybody, but a lot of people that were there. You knew Kyle Rittenhouse would. And again, I don't necessarily know why that helps the defense. Just because this kid, Mr. Black, knew that Kyle Rittenhouse had a gun or wanted him to have a gun, how does that help? How does that make it self-defense? How does that make it justify that Kyle Rittenhouse shot people? So I don't really think that that cross was very effective or helpful besides to poke holes in the credibility of this witness. But this witness was pretty good for the defense. I think that's why the cross was so short and why there weren't a ton of objections throughout the testimony. I did hear a lot of improper impeachment. That's just kind of something I'm a stickler to. He would just kind of read statements that he said, um, to law enforcement. And the way you're supposed to do that is, do you remember giving a statement? Do you remember saying this? And the witness gets to say yes or no. They get to review the statement before you just read it to a jury. But this defense attorney just kind of started reading his statements to the, that he said prior to law enforcement, um, which were kind of showing some inconsistencies, uh, in Mr. Black's testimonies. That was just, you know, a legal thing that happened, some improper impeachment, but not a big deal. Now, he did get into bias. And I was waiting for this because I thought there would be immunity of some sort for this guy, but there wasn't. But he did say, so no immunity, right? Okay. Your case was set to go to trial before this, wasn't it? Yeah. And you and the prosecutor and your attorney walked into this courtroom and asked if it could be pushed to after this trial. Isn't that right? And he said, yes. And he intimates that, yeah, you want to come testify at this trial once, you know, whatever the result of this trial is, then you get your deal after. And there is a promise coming, even though one has not occurred yet. So I thought that was a good point by the defense attorney to point out the fact that a promise is still coming. The only reason they didn't make one yet is to not make him seem biased, but we all know he's biased and he's working with the prosecutor. That's what the defense attorney is trying to argue. It's not what I'm saying. That's what the defense attorney is trying to argue. And as I do these recaps, people get mad and say, I sway too hard one way or the other. I'm just putting on my defense attorney's hat when he's a, a, a cross-examining a witness or doing his opening, and I put on my prosecutor hat when they're doing what they're doing and just say kind of what I would do different or what I think worked or didn't work for the lawyers. On redirect, the prosecutor just drove home the fact that tear gas rocks, whatever it was, none of it was enough to use deadly force, and Mr. Black agreed. So I think overall, Mr. Black was definitely better for the defense and the prosecution, and I thought the defense's use of the video and the pictures in the opening statement was more effective than the way the prosecutor's opening statement. So, in case you can't tell at this point, I think the defense is definitely ahead in this trial, and I think they are working towards creating the atmosphere and theme that they're trying to prove to show self-defense and show the craziness. And you know what they're going to say is violence that happened, and Kyle Rittenhouse had no choice because he was getting kicked, hit on the ground to act in self-defense in such a short period of time to make these decisions. So far, I think the defense is winning this trial, but tons, tons of stuff is going to happen. And there are still two to three weeks left of this trial. So it is far from over and nobody's made up their mind yet, hopefully on that jury. And they're going to be open to hear all the testimony. Let me know again, after every video, I'm going to give you where I think the case is kind of leaning, not giving you what I think the end results going to be yet, but just where the case is leaning. But I want to hear from you guys where you think it's leaning as well. So put in the comments, either house or state who you think is winning this case so far just after opening statements and one witness. We're going to continue to do these updates every day that I am available and can, and we're going to try to do lives once a week. So don't forget to comment below live. But for now, that's all we've got. A lot is happening in this trial. So we'll try to keep you as up to date as much as possible. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.